ending this series. Uh, it's called Breaking the Mold. And uh, the idea is that you will, you get in a rut sometimes in life or our life molds us and into something we don't like, we know that isn't quite right. So for you, has the world turned you, your circumstances molded you to act or react in a way that leaves you in a rut? You know, do circumstances seem pointless or hopeless, useless sometimes? Why do we keep going on? I once heard it said that uh, a rut is like living in a grave with the ends knocked out of it. You know, you're not growing, you're not going anywhere, and you're certainly not enjoying life. You're just keeping busy, waiting to die. In my work, I hear people complain, and it's kind of odd just to hear people, and you step back and you listen about what they're complaining about. And when, the deeper you go, if you ask them some questions, you'll hear that the things that they're basing their judgments on are, it could be years old. It could be misinformation. It could be from previous generations. And they just live in this, this rut, this deadness, this, this untruth. So what they need is truth. What they need to do is ask themselves, what is the truth? And go on from there. Now, Rochelle opened our, our series uh, three weeks or two weeks ago, and uh, she brought up this idea of generational molding. It could be generational poverty, where you're raised to believe that there's no hope of rising above this pop- poverty. And it's just a lie. It's a lie from Satan. It's not the truth. We could talk about abuse or relationship struggles. We could talk about uh, work ethic. You know, what do you believe about work? Or what do you believe about certain professions? You know, where did you get the ideas about these, these topics? Or how about your faith? Where did you get the basis for your faith? You know, where, how did you come to believe what you do? Is your faith based on your parents' faith? Have, have you not taken ownership of it? You're just repeating what they told you. Or maybe it's your friends that you hang around with, the schools you go to. TV or social media, has that developed what your truth is? Or better yet, how do you know what the truth is? I say all this because I want to get you thinking about how life molds us or gets us into certain ruts, uh, certain circumstances. Now, I know firsthand what it's like to be busy, and I like to be busy, but I also know that you can just, you know, life can start to happen to you and things can get out, get away from you. And, uh, in fact, I think most of us are addicted to some busyness, some level of busyness. And I ran across this quote, and it really made me start to think, activity is no substitute for production. So if you think about being productive. And then production, once you be, is no substitute for reproduction. Hence, leave a legacy. That's what Father's Day should be about, reproducing uh, followers of Christ. Our activity needs to be intentional. Our productivity needs to reproduce uh, somebody else, something in somebody else, help somebody else be productive. And as we're talking about Father's Day, we're on Father's Day, I want you to consider your level, your integration in this reproduction or what legacy you are leaving. So if there's no guide, no guiding principle or these practical guidelines, what do you do with life? Do you just let it happen to you? You know, where do you get the ideas for going on each day? 
life can mold us into something or someone that we're not meant to be. And I said it that way on purpose. We are meant to be something and somebody. It's not what we want to be necessarily, although we have those God-given desires, but he's given us something to be, something to do. So this is what I'm going to talk about today. Our purpose. Because if we're not fulfilling it, we're going to feel like we're in a rut. And we need to know how to get out of that rut and how to break this mold. Now, most of you, I would say here, because you're here today, are probably familiar with the idea that God has plans for you, that he has a purpose for you. But I would venture to say that a lot of you aren't certain if you're fulfilling it, if you're where God wants you to be, if you're up to that level that he's designed you to be. And some of you, that may be a foreign idea to you today that God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. But if you'll give me the next 20 minutes or so, I hope uh, to show you how to break this mold, how to introduce you to this, developing a mold-breaking plan in your life. Um, I may have brought this statistic up, but a, a fairly recent survey, it said nine out of 10 believers, they're pretty certain they're saved. They've got to that salvation point. They've committed their lives to Christ. But then what do they do? They're out wandering around. They're not empowered. They don't understand this power of the Holy Spirit behind them. They're like the children of Israel. They came out of Egypt, and what should have been a three-week, maybe a month trip to the Promised Land, 40 years, wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. If we were to extrapolate that in today's numbers, that's about 2 billion of us Christians wandering around we call ourselves Christians, but we're chugging along on just a fraction of the horsepower that we are meant to have, that God's given us. So what would happen if we got a tune-up? What would happen if, you know, how many marriages would be saved? How many wars would be prevented if two billion people got on board with God's plan out of the seven almost that we have right now in the world? If every Christian began to live in this promised land, how would the world be different? With God's help, we can close that gap between being saved and living empowered. The Bible says that you can live from glory to glory. And that's a wonderful term because it's the gloriousness that we get so excited about. We raise our hands when somebody commits their lives to Christ. But there's a glory at the end when Jesus comes back. And we need to live in that period. And that's what I'm talking about, breaking the mold that Satan sets up for us. So how do we do this? How do we get on purpose? Well, I'm talking about life and all this, this walking step by step, day by day. And I could answer this in one word, and we've been doing it this morning, it's worship. But I've got 20 more minutes, so I'm not gonna stop right there. Okay, I'm gonna give you a more specific answer, a plan and hopefully a motivation to, to live in this empowered. Uh, Psalm 14.1 the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It says, it goes on to say, they are corrupt, having done abominable works. There is none who does good. So that's our starting point. A.W. Tozer wrote this about it. I'm going to read it a little bit here. Now, we were made to worship, but the scriptures tell us something else. They tell us that man fell and kept not his first estate. So Adam and Eve were in the garden in a perfect state, and they fell, they fell away, they sinned. That separated us from God at that point. 
he forfeited the original glory of God and failed to fulfill his creative purposes so that he's not worshiping now, that's us, we're not worshiping now in the way that God meant us to worship. All else fulfills its design. Flowers are still fragrant. The lilies are still beautiful and the bees still search for nectar among the flowers. The birds still sing with their thousand song voice, their thousand voice choir on the summer's day. And the sun and the moon and the stars all move in the rounds that fulfill the, the will of God. That's the way he designed them. They're fulfilling their job. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. You and I, we can learn from scriptures too that the cherubim and the seraphim and the powers and the dominions, they're still fulfilling their design. Worshiping God who created them, the God who gave them the breath of life. Man alone, we sulk. We, stay, we sit alone in our cave with all of our brilliant intelligence, with all of our amazing and describable and wonderful equipment. We still sulk in that cave. We're either silent or if we open our mouths, it's to boast or it's to threaten or curse or it's to make big business out of humor or it's to sing songs without joy. And that's not what God created us to do. God created us with a plan to worship him, to bring glory. Those songs we sang, they said it so succinctly this morning. We are to bring him glory in everything we do. So this plan starts with worship. But where do we start? As a father, a really great tool for you to use is the catechism. And one, a great one that's been around for a long time, the Westminster Catechism. One of the questions... Uh, if you don't know what a catechism is, it's a, a, a doctrinal tool to teach a, a theory, a doctrine from the Bible, and it asks ask a question about it. And then it'll answer that question, and it'll have the references in the Bible where you find them. So this question is, what is the chief and highest end of man? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you have to smile when you say that, because it's joy, it's enjoying but you can't be in a rut. You can't be molded by life, not fulfilling a purpose and experience joy. So we need to get out of that. Um, Romans eleven thirty six. it's part of a doxology. And it just says it well, for him, for from him. So everything come, came from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. We need to talk that way. We need to give that glory back to him. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so whatever you do, the most average, ordinary thing you do, whether you eat, you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And I didn't know whether to read all this, but I want to read part of Psalm 73 because it gives us a picture. Sometimes you know you have an idea, or you have a feeling, but you don't know how to put it in words. And it's really great to read the Psalms to put words on that, that David or some of Asaph, some of the other temple worshipers put together for us to read those. So Psalm 73, you guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you say that out loud, God is my portion. Say that to him. It's a 
it's a relaxing um, emotion that you give back to him. It puts you in the right place. 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. This is where we're designed to be, to be in this relationship with God. And I have to talk about, there's another catechism I like to use because it's electronical. It's on my, my iPad. It's called the New City Catechism. And in there, question four says it this way. How and why did God create us? And the answer, the explanation is that God created us in his image. To know him, to love him, to live with him, and to glorify him. So once again, to glorify him. But it goes a little bit further about that living with him. And J.C. Ryle had a little bit more of an explanation. And he said, if you start to think about every part of your life, the, our talents, our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, all of our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, advantages of possessors of the Bible, all of that is on loan from God. That, that we are stewards, that we are indebted to him. So give that all back to him. Give glory back to him. And then John Piper had another explanation, and I thought this was really good. He used the image of a statue. So pick a statue, um, George Washington, or he used Napoleon. But you don't go glorify or honor that statue for its sake. You go there to be reminded, and it brings honor to the person it's the statue of. So it may be to bring honor to George Washington. In this same sense, we are image bearers. We are to image, as a verb, image God. We are made in his image. We're supposed to give that back to him. Show people what we think about God by the way we act and live. All right. So here are some scriptures that kind of walk us through this process. And Rochelle brought this up when she gave her message, and it's really, it's key but I need to walk you through it to, to pull out the highlights. In Ephesians 2, and we're going to go up through 10. I'm, I'm going to kind of skip parts of it. But as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So we, because of our birth at, as man, as mankind, are separated from sin. We were born in sin. And we are separated wholly from God. You used to be, and you followed those ways, and you're under the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Let us not forget that Satan is the ruler of the air. He is trying to influence us to pull us away. He loves it that we're separated from God. He would like for us to stop right there and not go any further. But if we go on to verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you and me, we've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him. Now we're starting to talk about a physical realm and a spiritual realm at the same time. So kind of go with me here. God raised us up with Christ that he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace. He wants to love us. He wants to shower us with grace and these riches of being in his presence. So they're expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. So I'm getting into our purpose, how we spend our 24 hours every day created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He just wants to spend time with us and have us glorify him. So I've talked to people in recent weeks, and, and when you think about God this much, and they respond without trying, you know they've committed their lives to Christ, but they won't step into it. It's baffling to me, and I feel bad. It's, it saddens me. But they still can't break that cycle. They can't begin thinking about the promises of God. They're still stuck in their rut of thinking and listening to God's or Satan's lies about them. They claim to be Christians. They claim to have accepted Christ, but they're not hearing this truth from God. And they're not listening or willing to listen to the people that God's put in their lives to encourage them. All we can do is pray at that point. They have got to step into their faith. So if you're here for the Daniel series, we uh, went through all 12 chapters and it was an amazing series. But if you remember about it, the first six chapters in Daniel talk about the physical earth. What happened to Daniel and all the fellows as they went through these different regimes, these kingdoms. But 7 through 12, those chapters talk about what's happening in the spiritual realm at the same time. So you've got Satan and the archangel Michael fighting while Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing their thing, being obedient. There's fighting going on. That's what we have to remember. We get to be in that same spot right now. When you're struggling, when you're in this rut, you've got to remember that this battle is for our souls. It's, you boil it down to that and you will have all you need to stand up and change your lives. So how do we do this? Well, we have to stay in the word. So I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures here, but it's there. And there's a way to go about it that I really want to hit on. 2 Corinthians 10 Verse five, we demolish these arguments, all this pretension that Satan's given us, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You see, it's in there. There's this encouragement, there's this instruction, there's this revelation of how God works and wants us to work with him in the scriptures, but we have to read it. This is the worship, if you're doing it the right way, that he's asking, that I'm talking about. The worship of God in reading his word, because it has the principles, it has the power to break the mold or get us out of the rut that we're in. And back on the right path. So it's not just a list of don'ts, but it's a, hey, look at this. This is what I've got for you. He created these works for us to do. Head that direction. And I have a secondary really kind of cool goal, and I like to say it this way, is that I want to give you a vision of white-hot worship. I don't want it to be lukewarm. I don't want you to come in here and just do it because everybody else is doing it. I want it to last from here through the rest of the week until we can get back together again. It's a seven-day-a-week project. This is our life. Um, I wasn't sure how to put this in here, but if you read John the first verse of John. John 1, and I threw John 2 in there also. Think about, when I read this, 
what this means. In the beginning was the Word. Not necessarily this book, but the principles, the black and white, what this Word. In the beginning. It was, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. When we talk about the Word in this manner, I want you to consider uh, aspects of God, attributes of God. So His grace, His love, His omniscience. We, sometimes we, we can get that that was before time, before the universe existed. That was with God. But the Word was with God. The Word has a presence. And when it's on paper and we read it with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are interacting with God at that point. We, we are at one with him. And then we can continue to work and learn and ask him to reveal what he's got for us. Jeremiah uh, 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what God wants. He wants our heart first. Now, a lot of what I'm talking about today, I came about, it's one of those things where I had an idea, it kind of goes with this theme, but I didn't have words for it. And I picked up this book for, by John Piper, it's called Reading the Bible Supernaturally, and it struck me. I started reading it, and uh, this book has helped me to change my way of reading the Bible. And that's why I, when we were planning out these dates to, to talk, I just knew that God said, it's, you, you, I'm going to line things up. So plan to preach that day, today, but I didn't know why. I didn't know what it was going to be. And, and then after I read this book, I'm like, that's why. Was we've got some, some molds to break. We've got some ruts to get out of in our lives. So my understanding is being changed, but me, I'm personally changing. I know it when I read this. Our goal in reading the book is to become closer, but it's to, it's to be, our affections need to be raised. Our our understanding of truth, and our aim is to be affected by that truth. Um, Jonathan Edwards, who was a great pastor to our founders and, and the people that d set up this country, he said it this way. He said, when you read the Bible and you understand something about God, or if you're looking around at nature and you start to, to through science or math, you start to understand God and you're like, that is awesome, that is cool, and you give God glory for that. There's this level of glory that he gets. But when you continually give it back and then you go tell somebody else, you testify to how great this God is, that's the ultimate glory you can give him, is go tell somebody else. So you get out of your rut and you go tell somebody else to and they can get out of their rut. And you break that mold that has a hold on them. I want to give you an example of that process right there. And everybody's familiar with King David. Before he was a shepherd, and then he became the king, and he was anointed, and there was this big process. It's a daily process for all of us. Well, at one point when he's being persecuted, he writes. He, he writes what he's going through. And all the time he knows that God is, is the God of Jacob and Isaac and the God of the universe, and he's praising him, but he still goes through these start struggles. He says, the waves in 2 Samuel 22, I don't think I have that up here, um, these 51 verses, he goes through this whole process. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. 
the cords of the grave. Does that sound like a rut with the, the ends knocked out? The grave, the, tor- the cords are coming up to get me and the snares of death confronted me. I'm sure somebody in here feels like that or has felt like that. But listen to what David does. He goes on. He continues to pursue God. He doesn't know the answer at the time he's going through it. He just knows God. And he continues to go through it. And that's my advice for you. Right now, don't give up. Don't quit pursuing God. And if we continue to go through 2 Samuel, his experience through those 51 verses at the end, he goes, you exalted me above my foes. So we read it, we get through it pretty quickly. He lived it. He put it down in writing for his own purposes, to keep track, to remember what God did, and to continue to bring God glory. And at the end, he says, therefore, I will praise you. Lord, among the nations, I will sing the praises of your name. So he gives us an example of, of his reflection, of his his attitude towards God, of his praising him through it all. And then he gives us this inclination to a deeper understanding, to pursue God, to figure out the nature of God. But then, and this is the big one, in Psalm 18, it's almost word for word. What was in 2 Samuel 22, those 51 verses, is repeated in Psalm 18. Well, the Psalms get to be the worship music in the temple. So what David did by writing it down and giving God glory all of a sudden becomes, after his death even, bringing glory to God, telling other people, explaining to them, giving them words to put on their ideas and their experiences and an encouragement to continue to pursue God. So that's a testament. That's testifying whatever it is. You go plant a tree that lasts generations. You go build a house that lasts until the next generation. But you do it all to the glory of God. And it will impact the kingdom. I don't know what what it's like. It will impact the kingdom. So we're going to go past 50 verses in Psalms. And I want you to get that, that what we do matters for him. All right. Let's bring this back again to your life. So we're going from the word. We see David give a testament. What's your rut? The way the circumstances of your life have modeled you. Are you responding? You know, are you seeking him? Are you pursuing God's meaning? I mean, talk about your finances. And I don't do this very well. But to budget doesn't mean, and my wife's teaching me this, to just write down the income and the outgo. It means to dream. It means to pray about it. Or how about um, your relationships? Are you giving that to God? I know families are tough. I know friends can be in and out of your lives, but you need to demolish the strongholds. Measure all of their ideas against what God says. Don't let them get you into a rut where you can't get out of that. You need to break that mold. How about gossip? That's an easy one. Measure everything you hear with what God's standards are before you pass it on. And it may be a prayer list, but just tell God. Don't be telling everybody else, okay? Or are you still stuck in that rut? Do you still listen to Satan through his manipulating ways? His, you know, are you still doubting yourself? Well, don't doubt God. Pursue God. He'll give you that encouragement. And then what's a response? What's a proper response look like to God? 
Well, Jesus gives us some verses that are reasons why we should pursue God by reading the scriptures and the reason he tells us the scriptures. In John 15, verse 11, he says, I have told you all of this so that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So you may even be experiencing joy, but what Jesus is talking about is a complete joy, a more complete joy. In John 17, verse 13, he says it this way, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they might have a full measure of my joy within them. So the, there again, picture Jesus' level of joy with the Spirit and with his Father. He wants that for us. He's trying to give us a picture of that to pursue him, to look at that. So our response is to be like this. Yes, Lord, yes. I will not just learn your, your ways and your words, but I want to be affected by it. That's our response. More of our response means to realize that this joy that he wants for us is the same that he has with the Spirit. There's an amazement that I want to see in you and I want to experience too. Think about being completely separated from God. We're over here and there's this chasm that there is no way. Outside of him helping us, there's no way. And the only other option is to be outside of any good that you experience now. That's because God's still present. If he's completely withdrawn from us, you will not experience that joy. It's nothing that you can do to ever get to that joy without him. Wonder and meditation. Um, in the leadership circles, we're talking a lot about white space, about having some time to your family, to your life, in the word. We need to have wonder and amazement and a meditation still. You can't just read it and check it off. His word has got to impact you through a time and a thought process and a listening to the Holy Spirit. And finally, this fullness of joy. And I love this word because I want you to catch it. It's a savoring. I want you to savor his word and understand this relationship that we're building with Christ because we are being changed day by day. All right, Psalm 19. Here again, we should aim that all of our Bible reading is like this. It's not only to see, but to savor the excellence of God above all things. So I said it earlier, it's not to accumulate nuggets of information or facts. It's to discover through time a, a weaving or a chains, uh, links in, the, in a chain or a theme that, that talks about God and his love for us and truth and wisdom. So Psalm 19 verses seven through 11, it expresses it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's refreshing to the soul. Don't you want your soul to be refreshed? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So he's put words onto this expression that we need to practice. 
So as I wrap up, I want you to see first that all of life is to be lived supernaturally. But I really want you to start with the reading, specifically reading our Bible supernaturally. So we're reading intently with this expectation of the Holy Spirit that it will reveal true meaning and application. The Holy Spirit enables God's people to see the glory of Christ and to live in a way that shows his supreme worth. Now that is the definition of mold breaking, of breaking a mold in your life, to live in a way that shows him supreme worth. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as I have always obeyed, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more that I am in my, in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and will act, to will and act in order to fulfill a good purpose. Work out your salvation isn't, it doesn't mean for you to work harder to earn your salvation. That's, that was the first glory he gave you. It means to pray continually, to anticipate from that day forward the work of the Holy Spirit. While you work and you read, he does the work. You simply obey. You step into it. So don't be like the Israelites that coming out of Egypt. You go straight to the promised land. Go where he's told you. The ultimate aim in reading the Bible supernaturally will become your ordinary way of life if we do this right way. So it's supernatural, but it becomes your ordinary. This quote I pulled out of the book, and I've kind of referred to parts of it through here from John Piper, goes like this. The ultimate aim in reading the Bible is that God's infinite worth and beauty would be exalted in the everlasting white-hot worship of the blood-bought bride of Christ from every people, language, tribe, and nation. Therefore, we should always read the Bible in order to see God's supreme worth and his beauty and to savor his excellence. This is breaking the mold that life that Satan has, has led or coerced or lulled you into. So the next step is to practice it. And that's going to be up to you. There's this transformative power or this, this accumulation, if you will, day to day. Now, if you listen to the podcast, The H&H Hour, Ryan Anderson had a quote the other day that was just awesome. And he said, a small thing repeated isn't a small thing. You know, if you want to achieve excellence in this or anything, at work, at home, in your faith, you can, but don't be fooled. You must pay the price. You must put in the effort. You must pursue God. The price of excellence is the price of building healthy habits. It's true that excellence builds through accumulation, but so does mediocrity. I'm saying that because it's going to be so easy to just let this go. But the cumulative effect of little things done poorly is equally powerful. And the aggregate effect of neglect is a life wasted. So pay attention. Be sure that the small things you do on a daily basis, like read your Bible intently, hear from the Holy Spirit, and give it time to sink in. I'm here to tell you, you can break the mold. You can get out of the rut and you can know truth and you can have hope. The advice, the wisdom, the knowledge you need to be transformed is in God's word. When we read it supernaturally, with the pursuit of God, like you're searching for a treasure.
power of the Holy Spirit. Bring all those things together. You're searching for a treasure and you're asking the Holy Spirit to empower you. You will demolish strongholds and God will transform us to be like Christ. This daily practice will break the mold which you're struggling with. So trust him, obey him, seek him and savor him. Pray with me. God, we need you. Father, we worship you now like we never have. We just give it all to you. We turn our, our lives to you again today, every day. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to renew us. Renew us to be of one mind with you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.